Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight, you are listening to episode 160, and we are continuing through the horror movies of the 1970s. This episode is covering the top five horror movies in 1978. And for those that might be newer listeners or might not remember we actually covered the top five movies in 1978 back in episode 61 when that year we had what kind of ended up being like a almost like weird prototype for the spin chagrin supplementary podcast where we ended up putting random genres and years like on wheels and would spin them and was that's how we ended up what doing like the top five foreign movies in 1995 or something Mm and we had like a bunch of weird categories that year and this just so happened to be one of them um comedy of the 40s i think what's that i think it was comedy of the 40s was a yes it was yeah a wheel spin right Uh we used to do it at the bar like so right chris chris would make me get drunk because i would never want to get drunk on my own and then would spin this fucking wheel on his phone and be like, oh, this is what we're doing. And it's going with the movies. Yeah. So this just happened to be um, be one of those um, categories. So in some ways, this is a little bit, I guess, of like a rehash, but not entirely. So um, uh, you pick uh, Frank uh, has inserted a couple, a uh, few new movies into the list. So um, Frank, 1978, we're getting close to the end of the 70s. Um, any any thoughts of what you're seeing develop in terms of changes in horror um, by this point that we well, haven't maybe discussed before? There's a lot of rip-off horror that's happening now um, in terms of, like, people trying to recreate uh, previous like ideas and themes from previous movies um we'll talk about one specifically in this list that sort of pulls from a bunch of different movies that have come out previously in the 70s um there's a lot more social consciousness i think in horror um Mm. and i think that you're starting to really see kind of the building blocks of what's going to become um sort of the roadmap for horror i think through the 1980s like in terms of the slasher genre um the possession slash exorcist light genre maybe like religious horror and possession horror um and also just some of the more like esoteric um things that are borderline horror like maybe you wouldn't necessarily consider them 100 percent part of the horror genre but have like horror elements and stuff so sort of um the hybrid horror movies where it's like horror sci-fi or horror thriller or horror political commentary um but yeah there's some uh, some interesting stuff there's actually a lot of notable movies from this year um some that we'll probably never talk about and some that we talked about previously mm-hmm um, like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is 78. Um, there's Pete Walker's The Comeback is 78. Um, you have the sequel to The Omen came out this year. Um, there's some other possession movies like The Eyes of Laura Mars and Patrick that are out this year. Um, you have the revenge thriller stuff like I Spit on Your Grave and Last House on the Beach are both in 78. Um, the Body Snatchers remake is 78, which we've talked about previously. Mm-hmm. 
um magic which is a uh, the anthony hopkins um killer ventriloquist dummy movie is out this year which is a favorite of mine um romero releases martin in 78 um piranha is 78 mm. um another one of my favorite like weird low budget horror and toolbox murders came out this year so it's just a lot of stuff that came out um in 78 where it's kind of a kind of a banner year for horror movies in a lot of ways um and then a couple of the movies that are on our list we're going to talk about today that are super notable um two that are i think probably among like the top 20 or 30 horror movies ever made and then one that's um a really big cult classic um and we've talked about before as well um so yeah but again it's like there's this whole feeling in the 70s of just the independent spirit in terms of horror filmmaking so you see a lot of people taking chances and maybe making movies that they might not have been able to make you know a decade before or may not have even thought would have any kind of like profitability um, but yeah it's a good year for for our movies yeah um did you, did you write down what our 78 list was yep martin halloween Martin, Halloween, Dawn of the Dead, Toolbox Murders, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. And that's just as good a list as this one. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a couple of movies on this list that we probably would never have the occasion to talk about otherwise. Right. So. Right. Um, and I'm assuming number five on your list is probably one of those movies, right? So yeah. probably not one that many people or hasn't been talked about too much, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah. So let's just jump right into it. So number five on your list is The Manitou. Uh, it is directed by William Girdler, and it stars Tony Curtis, Susan Strasberg, and Michael Anzara. It has a 40% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 35% from audiences. Um, I think Tony Curtis is maybe first appearance on the podcast ever. Yeah. Um, I think so. Maybe. Um, I'll do some research and look it up. But uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this one and um, what you think is... Uh, you know why it's on the list so a weird combination of mystical horror and body horror and possession horror or spiritualism horror maybe um with a healthy dose of uh pre-modern era uh racial insensitivity thrown in i guess mm -hmm. um so the Manitou is the story of this woman who has this growth on the back of her neck that doctors think is a tumor. Um, but when they x-ray, they find it uh, appears to contain a fetus that's growing off the back of her head. Um, so she goes to uh, her friend, I guess like ex-lover, uh, to Tony Curtis, who's this charlatan... Um, spiritualist like medium uh who basically bilks like old ladies out of money by pretending to like have a connection to the afterlife um she goes to him for aid and they discover that there's like something happening while she sleeps that's concerning to him so he wants her to see someone other than her doctors to try and get an idea of like what's happening with her um in the meantime while he's doing one of his um fraudulent spiritual 
readings. Um, his client, who's this old lady, is basically um, <laughs> murdered. Like she's levitated out and thrown down the stairs um, while he runs after her in slow motion, which is a really funny scene. Um, but yeah. uh, and when she's dying, she utters this phrase, and I can't remember what the phrase is, but she utters this phrase that he can't doesn't understand he can't interpret but he like it makes him feel really uncomfortable and it's the same phrase that he hears like when he's sleeping next to um the lady at night oh, fuck, what is that character's name karen or something like that right yeah karen mm-hmm. yeah karen <clears throat> so they go to an actual spiritualist who determines that she is basically the incubation chamber for the return of this 400 year old medicine man like evil medicine man that's using her to come back into the world um and that the phrase oh, fuck what does it mean something like through death i live again or something like that mm-hmm. something hokey um so he the he refuses to help them basically and so they go to an actual living um in like native american medicine man who eventually agrees to help them and up to this point the movie's eh, more or less just kind of i wouldn't say standard but there's nothing really like spectacular about it the last 25 minutes of this movie are ridiculous and insane mm-hmm. um so she gives birth to fuck god it's such a ridiculous name um hold on i gotta look it up because i can't remember how you say it she gives birth to the medicine man who is fuck hold on i gotta find this guy's name because it's really funny when um miss miss comacus Mm-hmm. And when Tony Curtis yells Miss Comacus, like it sounds like he's saying M I S S space Comacus. Anyway, so Miss Comacus appears, and they have this idea that they're going to use the Manito, like the spirit of all of the electronics in the building, to channel to like fight this this being, but they they can't manage to do it. So he freezes the entire hospital so it turns into ice including like the nurse on duty mm-hmm. there's a really funny scene where like her head gets like launched at tony curtis and like goes out a window but then opens up this portal into i guess the outer reaches of space or something um and karen wakes up and all of a sudden has the ability to channel the power of the Manitou of like the electronics in the building and starts shooting lasers at Miss Missing Caucus or Miss Kumacus or whatever. <laughs> um Miss Kumacus. And there's this giant like she's naked on this gir- gurney that's half floating in space and half like inside her hospital room and channeling this energy like electricity from these different terminals to shoot beams of energy at at this thing and he eventually like his physical form explodes but then he's like this giant 
like Lovecraftian floating eyeball in space and she's shooting lasers at it um, and eventually is able to defeat him. Um, but in the end, the idea is presented that even though they've destroyed his physical form, um, his ethereal form might still come back to menace them. So not necessarily a good movie in any respect, but a really, no, I, I think a really fun movie to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, because Tony Curtis is, um, just the most ridiculous overactor in this performance um including like him having a fake mustache and I don't know, there's just some really funny stuff with tony curtis in this movie but also because i think it's a really i think it's a really interesting look at the idea of like just grabbing everything from successful horror franchises and trying to see what sticks you know, so you pull elements of things from The Exorcist, you pull elements from The Omen, um, there's some shit from, I don't know, like the older, like, whatever you want to call it, like, Indian burial ground slash the cultural misappropriation of, you know, like, Native American culture and myth as, like, whatever, an entertainment tool. Um, and then there's things that <clears throat> I think are actually adopted by later movies. So I think honestly mm -hmm. that like I think um Altered States pulls some stuff from this movie. Mm -hmm. Um I think later Exorcist movies pull some things from this movie. I think there's definitely some intermixing of um Cronenberg with this movie in terms of some of the body horror elements. Um, and it's just, it's it's this weird-ass movie that I don't know if it's ever gotten enough recognition for just being as out there and weird as it is. Um, but there's definitely nothing else like it in terms of just its overall feel and mm -hmm. the ridiculousness of the goddamn space battle at the end is like, I don't know if you ever could even like predict it was going to happen. Like it definitely nah, caught me no. off guard the first time I saw it. Um, and it always makes me laugh really hard because she's just sitting there with the most like bemused look on her face, like naked on this like hospital bed, like shooting fucking force beams. Like, like she's some Marvel superhero right? at giant like angry Cthulhu native american monster like floating in the nether reaches of space it's just it's it's ridiculous like the end of that movie so um but yeah i think that again i think there's a lot of people that, that either consciously or subconsciously and i really think that um altered altered states pulls um some elements from this movie uh just in terms of the way it looks especially at the end i can see that yeah um and I also think that Cronenberg, um, either this movie was influenced somewhat by Cronenberg or vice versa. Um, but there's definitely some some mixing there in terms especially of like the the body horror and the yeah the creature infesting the inside of the body and like the emergence and um Yeah, because next year it's like I yeah, there's elements of the brood that I can see like yeah. feeling feeling similar at least um and rabid too in a way yeah and rap yep 
Yeah. 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 What did you, you think I thought of this movie? Um, you either found that it was fun enough to watch where you could kind of forgive some of it or uh-huh. you fucking hated it. Yeah. So I'm just going to read you directly my notes. Just like this, the notes that I took right after I watched it, I'm just going to read them directly without like doing adding anything to it. This was an oddball but fun Saturday afternoon movie. It told a different story or eight stories, perhaps, than what was expected or what other movies tell. Tony Curtis was good, although over the top and hammy in this, and I didn't expect to enjoy him as much as I did. So roughly it was the same thing you said. It's just different language. We haven't yeah. talked about this movie at all, like not once, I don't think, since you put it on a list. Um so yeah, I, I yeah, I, I thought it was fun. Like it like you said, I don't know if it's a good movie, but it's a really fun movie. Um Yes. Exactly. And it's not something that you'd necessarily would really ever show up on a list. Um for us and it was a movie where there was definitely other stuff that i could have put on this list and um maybe would have been more appropriate for a top five but it's just one of those things where i think that if you just want to watch a fun movie and something where it's going to kind of defy your expectations almost at every turn um it's the movie it's it's a good movie to watch it's an enjoyable hour and 40 minutes or however long it is um that you will be surprised at several times and laugh out loud at mm-hmm. several times and then in laugh out loud in a good way where it's not necessarily that you're laughing at it because it's so bad but you're just laughing because it's so ridiculous like everything that you're seeing yeah tony curtis is um unintentionally funny a lot of times and it's like there's always like just kind of a slight smirk on my face as i'm watching him try to play this character because it's not like he's not playing the character but there's an element of him that's like so unbelievable playing this character at times like i'm earning a paycheck tony curtis but i'm still gonna give it my all right right when when he's sitting there and they have him framed in that fucking space door and he's like on his hands and knees he's like Miss Incoquis, go away, Miss Incoquis. Get out of here, Miss Incoquis. And it's just, it's, it's so with the, with the, with those kind of rolled up sleeves on a t-shirt, kind of <laughs> yeah. where it looks like he should have a cigarette pack like sticking like out of like the sleeve in some way. Like it's, it's this like ridiculous like like Brando look from like twenty years previous. It's, it's, right. it's, it's. It's funny you mentioned Brando because one of the elements they try to present in this movie. So basically, here are the themes of the movie. Don't fuck with powers beyond your control. Mm-hmm. White men deserve to ha- be punished for the sins of their forefathers in terms of like the Native Americans. Don't fuck with like, I don't know, like the elder gods in terms of or maybe do like if you've got like some lady that can channel the spirits of electronic devices or whatever right the manito of those devices i don't know um don't be a charlatan because eventually like your clients are gonna die because of your relationship with you know this woman who's possessed some for some reason by the spirit of an ancient yeah like i said it's 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 really it's one of those movies that's all over the place and it 
in a lot of ways it reminds me very much of um Fulci's uh, the beyond mm. um in the sense that it's just like let me take this and let me take this and let me take this and i'm gonna <laughs> mix all this shit together and all this stuff's gonna happen and some of it's gonna stick and some of it's not but fuck it because by the end you won't remember the stuff that didn't work you'll just remember you know <laughs> fucking tony curtis running in slow motion down the hall yes after this old woman who's floating in the air yeah like whatever repeating the fucking missing coquis's uh mantra or whatever yeah and then getting thrown down the I mean, he's just oh my god it's it's it, it's a pretty funny movie it is um it's definitely one that um i think orion might like possibly yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's one of those enjoyable yeah but again i think i i think there's some really decent ideas in it i just mm-hmm. think they try to do too much and then it kind of gets away from him at times, but I don't think that it's, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Cause I think there's some really interesting and cool elements in it. Um, and definitely not a movie that people talk about a whole lot in terms of seventies horror. So um, something I kind of wanted to bring up just in case there's people um, you have to pay to watch it. I didn't yeah. find anywhere that it was free anyway, nah. but it's, um, it's like two ninety nine on YouTube and three ninety nine on prime. So whatever, it's not yeah. like it's hugely expensive. Right. Um, and if you ever get the chance to watch it for free somehow, because um, it was free on Prime for a long time, <clears throat> up until about six months ago, I think it came off of Prime's um, like horror subgenre list. But definitely, if you get the chance to watch it, it's 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 worth you know the hour and forty minutes of your time. I think, especially if you like so good it's bad style horror, where there's actually some artistry and effort put into the making of it yeah and they've actually it looks like they lowered the price for on each of them it's a dollar less on each now so it's a dollar 99 on youtube and um 2.99 on prime so um yeah it was a dollar more last month um all right so number four on your list uh australian horror long weekend it is directed by colin eggleston and it stars john hargreaves and briani behetz it has a 88% from critics and a 67% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh, why it made the list? This is a movie that I don't feel really gets enough recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, very small, low-budget horror, and to the extent that it really only has two actors and like maybe like four supporting actors in the whole thing. But the the premise of the movie is that there's this couple who has gone through some initially undefined marital strife where they're not happy with each other. And the husband has the idea that they're going to go on this, this camping trip over a long weekend, like a holiday weekend in Australia to kind of rekindle their love. Um, They spend a lot of time building the idea that these are both, mostly unlikable people in a lot of ways um in the sense that they show her talking to a friend and kind of saying that she's angry at the husband and she doesn't want to go with him and then he shows up and he's more concerned with the dog than with her and she kind of tries to tell him numerous times like hey this is not something i want to do but he doesn't listen because he's already bought his new gun and his camping equipment and this is what we're going to do like we're going to go on this trip um so they drive into a portion of the outback like towards the coast 
where they're going to go to this beach that he's heard about that's kind of separated from civilization and along the way they're just assholes like he's flicking lit cigarettes out of the window and they're causing like brush fires and they run over a kangaroo and then um they're just driving through nature like knocking down trees and they end up killing some animals including a i don't think it's a manatee i don't know what that animal is called um some sort of aquatic mammal that looks like a big seal but i don't know what the name of it is um so he's continuously trying to sort of rekindle the romance and she's a lot more hesitant and what you find out is that what you eventually find out is that she had had an affair with um, a friend of theirs and had gotten pregnant and then had an abortion to get rid of the baby um and so she's a lot less interested in kind of fixing the relationship than he is but he's also a lot more interested in proving how manly he is by being able to camp and start a fire and he's on the beach like shooting at things so the horror element of it is that nature starts to kind of rebel against this um my like wanton destruction that these people are causing and starts to come at him so initially it's um like a hawk attacks him at first and um there's other things like there's ants all over their food all the time and um eventually they have a falling out and they get separated and she gets entangled in this ridiculous giant spider's web in their um jeep i guess i don't know what you would call it um and he's like alone and stranded on the beach kind of and has to go through a whole night like by himself and he's just like randomly shooting his gun out into the wilderness um and he ends up killing her accidentally because he hears a noise and he shoots a spear gun and it ends up killing her um and then he tries to escape and he's running through the woods and nature's kind of like besetting him on all sides and he ends up running out in the middle of the road and getting run over by a car and killed um and so the i guess the ultimate moral of the story is like try and be respectful to nature or nature will come and get his vengeance on you maybe or something um it's a ridiculous movie when you talk about the plot but it's actually really well done in terms of the way they build the tension in the movie and the kind of the way they build to the idea that you know it actually is i don't know if supernatural is the right word but maybe preternatural or something in the sense of like nature kind of getting its um it's come them getting their comeuppance there's some really great visual uh, motifs that they use in this movie repeatedly um in particular the idea that like nature is shifting itself to keep them trapped on this beach by like changing these road marks sort of and then what's actually like really kind of sad and horrifying is the manatee or whatever uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a dugong dugong like thank yeah. you man i, I shouldn't i should know that should have should have had dixon on for this part of the, part <laughs> of the podcast um the dugong whose corpse is like washed up and rotting on the beach but is like maybe moving sometimes and maybe still alive even though it's clearly dead and um is just this constant reminder of like him unnecessarily taking a life just for his own like personal satisfaction 
and the fact that like the eye is always kind of staring up at them mm-hmm. um to show that like nature sees what they're doing and you know they're gonna eventually whatever like reap what they've sown or whatever um really uncomfortable stuff between him and her um you mentioned that you thought there wasn't enough characterization i i think there's enough where you definitely know that she's in the wrong for cheating on him and being impregnated but i think you also get the impression that maybe it's just because he's not a very good person like he's a pretty terrible human being in a lot of ways and is much more obsessed with his material possessions and how they make him look and the idea that he's going to get his way and he's going to do what he wants to do at the expense of her happiness and that that's probably been how their relationship's been a lot in the past. Yeah, and and I get that. And I the more I thought about it, it's like yeah, they certainly make him appear an asshole in it uh, when we were talking about it. But um, I still don't. I never felt like the movie or the director. And I think this is filmed well, but it's like I never got the sense that there was sympathy for her at all. Like you know, to, because he's such an asshole. Like you know. Um, in, in fact, it's like, I feel like by the end of the movie, there's a tiny bit, maybe more sympathy with him for like, for some reason, potentially, um, it, 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 it's very weird. And it's like to insert the psychodrama, like of that situation, it didn't really go anywhere to me. Um, so it's like, it feels kind of like that whole thing, just ultimately, I don't think there's enough to go on and it feels kind of pointless other than they're both kind of maybe kind of shitty people. And I think the part of that is... I think they're shitty people because they're with each other. Hmm. And it's not that they're necessarily terrible people at heart. Although a lot of this, I think, is a criticism at the time of sort of the callousness towards the environment. Um, Because there's other movies from around this time period, like um, The Last Wave, for instance, is a good example. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one, Wake and Fright, which is another one from around this time um that's similar uh there's a post-apocalyptic one that takes place in new zealand that i can't remember what it's called but it's also another very similar like man is destroying the environment and eventually like there'll be some recompense for that so i think that's a big part of it is this idea of like the the fact that the australians recognized that they needed to kind of control how the environment was being treated if they wanted to continue living in this like beautiful country or whatever and so i think a lot of it is some criticism of the the yuppie day tripper kind of oh sure like the person that is coming in from the city you know to rough it in the outback and gets their comeuppance and you see that a lot later too i mean that's pretty much a big part of australian horror cinema anyway but you know you watch stuff like um uh, wolf creek or whatever and it's it's similar there mm-hmm. as well um although they're the the force of nature is a man and not necessarily yeah. nature itself i mean it's to the point where it's such a theme where i think of watching this in 2022 um a lot of people might be like yeah okay i get it right you know but at the time sure yeah and i think it still stands stands up pretty well as a decent watch um Again, I think there's some really cool visual elements to it. I think it's beautifully filmed in terms of the beach and the 
the jungle. I brought this up to you last night. Um, I, w- I was wondering while I was watching it this time if um, uh, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Hughes hadn't seen this movie at some point and taken some visual cues in the way they film things with Lost, especially mm-hmm. early on when they're um, the survivors are on the beach and they've got their bonfire set up and the others right. are kind of harassing them from the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a feeling of that in my opinion when um david or whatever his name is is stuck on the beach um harry oh no that's not that's not harry what is this dude's name sorry I... peter when peter is um on the beach kind of like fending for himself and just the i the way that it's filmed with like the darkness outside the um the circle of the firelight and everything so i don't know i i really wanted to talk about it because i don't know that i've really ever heard anybody else talk about this movie Mm. um and i think that there's enough merit to it where it's kind of watchable and interesting to watch it's free on youtube i think is where i watched it um Uh, yeah we did yeah it was on youtube yeah i think so there's a decent version of it on YouTube um, if you care to watch it, but just an, an, an interesting um, Enviro horror themed movie, which is not something that you um, you see a huge amount of, although there is a lot of movies from this time period. So like Kingdom of the Spiders and Night of the Lepus and Food of the, Food of the Gods and um, Cujo a little later <clears throat> that are really based on this idea of like nature's going to come back and take its vengeance on us as people for you know mistreating it so long yeah i um it's an interesting movie i i don't think i i don't don't think it's a bad movie i think it's filmed really well um i just didn't dig it as much as you i guess like I, i i didn't really find it suspenseful necessarily like it felt like it was kind of like a predetermined to me like what was going on in it um yeah and i think maybe i'm because i'm scared of nature that like when they try to make me scared of nature maybe i'm less scared of nature i don't know exactly like what's going on there but um like i i never felt like scared for them like at all like i never felt like tension like necessarily as i was watching it maybe because they're assholes i don't know um again like i'll always argue that if you make your characters assholes like it eliminates the horror of a movie almost immediately um but i do like think there's some cool stuff in this like i like the idea of nature working together in some kind of like weird systematic way to kill people to you know um in defense of itself like i think that's a really cool idea i think the beach scene at night that you were talking about like with the fire is pretty good um it's kind of closest they maybe come a little bit to like showing some kind of eeriness of like that idea of like what's in the dark um you know how close is it like those kind of things like listening to little noises um but yeah but so much of it's like in the middle is filled with that psychodrama that i uh just don't quite get like and i don't think this is true but it's it's so it's so weirdly inserted to me that like for a while i started wondering like is this 
like some sort of anti-abortion like low-key anti-abortion movie and like they're using like the natural world and destruction of mm. it and like it made me wonder but then it's like they didn't do anything with it so i was like yeah, yeah because I, think... I go ahead sorry i just think that's how to say this i think it's just something that's immediately identifiable to most people in the audience where they can understand both sides of it, like why she would want to get an abortion and why he would be mm-hmm. still not a hundred percent like cool with the fact that it happened, I guess. Yeah, no. And I think you're probably right. It's just one of those things that I think it's so oddly inserted that it's like, I, my mind was like trying to fit the pieces together of all of it because I didn't understand it. And it, it's, I think it's just as simple as what you're saying, but it's like, it's just so oddly uh, portrayed to me that it's like, it feels a little out of nowhere. Um, I understand that. So, but, um, but yeah, it's an interesting movie. I just didn't take it as much as you yeah. Another one where I feel like we've already talked about other movies that are quote unquote better in this in 78. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to kind of talk about this because it's not something that's talked sure. about much. So makes sense. Yep. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to number three. So the third movie is Blue Sunshine, directed by Jeff Lieberman and stars Zalman King, Deborah Winters, Mark Goddard, and Robert Walden. It's like the whitest list of names ever. Um as an 83% from critics and a 45% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh, why it's on the list? So this movie. Um, <laughs> yes, please describe like what happens in this movie. The movie opens with a series of three short, three or four short vignettes um, that show people in what would be considered like normal domestic situations that are not stressful necessarily but like they're unhappy in and ends with the camera this like like atonal dissonant um maybe violin slash tuning fork noise as the camera pulls up out of their head and pans into the sky where you see a blue moon um hanging in the sky so eventually the movie gets around to this group of friends who's at a cabin and they're hanging out and having a party and one of their friends shows up and he's really popular and um, apparently he's a singer so they're all like oh you know we want you to sing your song and he's like all right like he's like oh no 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 I just want to hang out he's like okay you got me like I'll sing my song and so he starts singing this Sinatra song and dancing with this woman that's the girlfriend of one of his one of the other people at the party and that guy's like hey you're getting a little um, feisty with my girlfriend and puts his hand on top of the guy's head and the guy's hair comes off and he's bald and as soon as that happens he immediately has this like psychotic break where his eyes start skittering around and he runs away and they're like well what the fuck like we got to go find this guy so at this point you're sort of really introduced to um the main character who is uh zippy um jerry zipkin who you find out is this kind of enigma of a man who graduated top graduated top of his class from cornell but then kind of went all over the place and currently 
doesn't even have a job, even though he's super smart and talented or whatever. Um, so the group breaks off to go and find him. So three ladies stay behind. Uh, Zipkin takes the flashlight and goes out into the woods. And the, some of the other friends drive into town to see if they can find him. So while Zipkin's out combing the woods, um, the guy comes back into the house and murders the three women including brutally throwing a woman into a lit fire and then continuously pushing her back in as she's burning alive, mm -hmm. um, which is a pretty horrifying scene. Um, all the while, like eyes darting all over, um, you know, bald head with like patches of hair still on it seems to have gained some kind of like incredible strength. Um, so Zipkin comes, so Zipkin comes back and comes upon the scene and the guy attacks him and then chases him. So Zipkin runs away and they end up fighting on a roadside and Zipkin pushes him off and he gets hit by a truck. So instead of Zipkin being like, Hey, this guy was attacking me. I was just defending myself. He runs away and one of the truck drivers chases him back to the house and thinks that Zipkin's already murdered this dude and then sees the bodies in the um, fireplace and basically tries to pull a citizen's arrest on Zipkin. But Zipkin runs away even though he gets shot in the arm. So the police are looking for him as the person of interest. Even though the friends who had like driven away come back and are like, you know, Zippy's not um, capable of this. Like, it's not him. And there's this girl that's a love interest of his that's firmly on the side that, you know, he couldn't have done it. So... They find out that there was another murder similar to this, where someone who was bald had killed some people. And the connection is made that all these people, when they were in college, um, had taken drugs from this drug dealer who's now running for Senate, I think, right? He's like a mm -hmm. Senate candidate or something. Um and had taken this LSD called Blue Sunshine. So Zipkin wants to test the theory that it's this Blue Sunshine that's caused like some kind of reaction. So he goes to the house of the ex-wife of the guy that's running for the Senate and to like ask her some questions. And it turns out that she's also bald and trying to murder the children that she's babysitting. So Zipkin saves them and pushes her off a balcony and kills her. But now he's responsible for her death too. So now they're after him for that. So he's got to run away again. <laughs> um, so in talking to his love interests, they find out that there's this guy, Wayne Mulligan, who is a football player who took the blue sunshine. Um, that's been helping. Uh, shit. What is the dude's name? Which one? The guy that's running for Fleming, Edward Fleming, right? Yes, that's, um, that's the guy that's running for Ed, Ed Fleming, who's the former drug dealer turned um, senatorial candidate. Um, Wayne Mulligan has been working with him, so they want to get a chance to get a sample of Wayne Mulligan's blood so that they can test it. So they can prove that it's not Zippy that killed these people. It's these people that have been altered in some way by uh, by the blue sunshine. So 
there's another movie that's got just some ridiculous scenes in it that are that'll make you laugh like watching them um so there's a scene where um uh what's her name alicia whatever sweeney the woman that um is in love with zippy is luring wayne mulligan to this bar where she's going to try to get the sample of the blood for him um and mulligan's like all nervous and anxious and um he's like i gotta go to the bathroom so he goes to the bathroom there's this cop that's on zippy's trail that she's convinced like hey like i think we can prove if you can like get a sample of this guy's you know blood that it's him that's it's these people that are responsible and not not zippy so the cop goes in the bathroom and wayne mulligan's sitting there washing his face over and over and his hair comes off and he beats up the cop and then he comes out and he starts going crazy in this discotheque including (laughs) gorilla pressing this woman off the dance floor spinning her around and like throwing her which is fucking hilarious (laughs) so all these people are running out and zippy comes in um zippy who has gone to a gun store to buy an air pistol that he can shoot a dart that has this drug that'll like knock them out and then he can get the sample from to prove his case um in a real another really funny scene where he's being sold this gun and the guy's like what is it you gotta you gotta cock it you gotta bring her up slow you gotta bring her down steady and you gotta squeeze the trigger you jerk it it don't work um so zippy's got this pistol in his pocket and wayne mulligan's going nuts and so as zippy's going in these people are running out and one of them yells like oh shit <laughs> there's a there's a bald mother in there that's gone shit house or something like that. it's fucking hilarious like the line so um zippy comes in and he gets beat up by wayne mulligan but then there's this element where when they hear loud music it causes them to like um basically like go crazy like where they can't concentrate anymore so they have to get away from it so um she turns up the music really loud because she's locked herself in the dj booth um and wayne mulligan flees into the department store and so zippy gives chase um ends up almost shooting a mannequin um because the mannequin's bald uh then there's a funny scene where wayne mulligan swings like a broken mannequin and um zippy's head um but zippy like zippy gets knocked back into like an aisle and so he pulls out his gun and he cocks it and he's got the dart loaded and he says the mantra to himself and then when wayne mulligan pops around the corner he shoots him in the neck and then you basically just get a coda at the end saying that um wayne was or zippy was proved right when they tested wayne's blood that his dna had been altered by um taking like the blue sunshine strain and i can't remember exactly what like pseudoscience is involved but it somehow like has um altered like the chemical makeup of their dna um and then with the warning that there are still 600 and or no nah, 250 250 yeah 250 some um doses of this blue sunshine left in circulation so kind of one of those cautionary tales for something that doesn't really necessarily need to have a cautionary tale uh linked to it right um i I fucking love this movie 
I think this movie is pretty hilarious from start to finish. Um, Zalming King, who is somebody that for the majority of my life I only knew as being involved with, um, he was Red Shoe Diaries, right? Mm-hmm. He was, um, <clears throat> he's was in the original Red Shoe Moon... Diaries movie. Yeah, and Two Moon, Moon Junction, Junction, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Zalming King is just ludicrous in his performance. And there's so much great dialogue and so many just weird. I mean, I I wonder. So this is a year after Eraserhead, but I have to imagine that Lynch like saw this movie and liked this movie, um, because there's a lot of really like, not necessarily directorial choices, but just like tonally elements of this movie in terms of like shifting from almost like a kitschy. Uh, hyper real like pop style to absolutely just like dark gruesome like murder really and that's mm-hmm. like shifts back and forth um i also wonder i i think there's some influence from taxi driver in this movie too um especially in the zippy character like i think he's not that Travis Bickle is like a genius and whatever, like they make Zippy out to be, but I think that just kind of the the element of the um the the political backdrop of it, um working in the whatever it's like a volunteer in the um the senator's campaign. Maybe even like Parallax View a little that, bit. That's the that's the movie that I was most reminded by. I was sitting here trying to remember uh, what the what the name of it, but yeah, Parallax View that we talked about earlier this year is is the one I like was sitting there watching it, and a lot of scenes reminded me of that. But just um just a really funny movie that's also really well filmed. Um, the guy that directed this movie. Uh, we've never talked about on the podcast before um mm-hmm. jeff lieberman yeah <clears throat> but is the director of two other movies that i really love um one is squirm which is a horror movie about irradiated bloodworms like killing people mm. and then don't go into the woods which is kind of a sort of it's it's really kind of like the prototypical like killer in the woods movie but also um it's like had two names or something oh i'm sorry it's not don't go into the woods it's um just before dawn i'm okay. sorry yeah don't okay. don't go into the woods completely different just before dawn um which is prototypical like killer in the woods um but also kind of a deliverance riff sort of hmm. but all of his movies are well filmed and have interesting characters um and have some element of social commentary hidden in them. Um, so in this one, I think is almost even like maybe a mockery of the war on drugs and not necessarily like a cautionary tale, but like a, a mockumentary cautionary tale style. Right. Um, but yeah, just a crazy ass movie from start to finish. Some really funny scenes and some really, I think, well filmed and interesting stuff. Um, throughout the movie uh, with just again batshit crazy performance <laughs> from a Zalman King 
and just really funny the way he films people when they're having their psychotic breaks so yeah blue sunshine was really hard to find for a long time yeah is this something that gained notoriety later like yeah i think rhino somebody somebody re-released it on dvd but this was a movie where um it was really difficult to find on vhs and it was one of those ones where in like the 90s um even like bootleg copies of this could command like 40 or 50 dollars mm. <clears throat> and you were never going to find like an original copy um for anything less than probably like 100 bucks um but i love it like i've always enjoyed um always enjoyed it completely insane i think the first time you see it um, and it takes a little while really to get to the point of like what's happening but i think it builds that mystery pretty well um yeah, that's the thing. I I would I, I know it's a I know it has scenes of horror in it, but it's like often it felt like more like a paranoid thriller than sure. a horror. Yeah, movie that's that, that's more what it is, I think. Yeah. Um, but I know that distinction can be difficult at times because you know any a lot of paranoid thrillers have ho- horrific elements to them. So yeah, but um, I mean, but, in in a lot of ways, it's it's a really good movie. Like if you want to stay within this year um to watch with body snatchers from 78 mm. um mm-hmm. because tonally mm-hmm. they're very similar to each other um and i think there's kind of that element of yeah the whole 70s like disco craze and um culture of like excess where there were people who were looking at these people that were going to discos and putting on these ridiculous clothes is kind of like plastic people um i know that that was a big thing with uh what's his name zappa from like this time period but like right. the idea that you know you had these people that were just all cookie cutter clones of each other in terms of their dress and their music they were into and um it's films like this that are more or less i guess riffs or ribs on the idea of like the culture of conformity and people who had like tuned in and dropped out in the 60s now like being yuppies and being part of the system and you know what's left of you from the time when you were like counterculture and you know peace and love and now you're making money off of the same system that you were railing against like 10 years before so i think there's an element of criticism there as well Mm-hmm. Um, because all these people that are affected by this are people who have good lives or you know have like gained some sort of like success um including this guy who was you know a, a drug dealer a decade before that's now about to be you know one of the most powerful people in the country so right it's true um easily found it's streaming on shutter so if you have access to shutter or amc plus um, you have access to watch Blue Sunshine, um, and it's definitely worth watching. I think. Yeah, that's right. Jesus, yeah. the the scene the scene where Zip is um getting in touch with his doctor friend uh, Bloom, and the doctor friend is like Zip, the cops are after you. You have to stop coming to me. You're gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> And Zippy's like, oh, man, I just appreciate you so much. I love you. And he's like, there is a cop over there. Get the fuck away from me. I love it. 
Let me give you a hug. Give you a hug, Doc. I appreciate it. Get the fuck away from me, Zip, you lunatic. Oh, daddy. <laughs> I love that character. Zombie King is inspired and insane. In this yeah, that's no, true. He, to me, like he largely carries it on his back um, with that performance. But um, yeah, it's an enjoyable movie. I uh, I love I, the way it's shot too. Like I love the night stuff in the beginning, mm-hmm. and I really like the. I mean, obviously, like I've I've seen this movie five or six times at least, but I really love like especially the first time you see it, just the feeling of slight unease and uncertainty with those opening vignettes mm-hmm. of like what's going to happen with these people, especially the way that it's like Meh, and just like pulls like up out of their head. Right, like off camera, like up to the the blue moon, like reflected in the sky. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's 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 really well filmed. I um I saw where that squirm is on Tubi, but it looks like uh just before dawn is not anywhere. Oh, it's uh, on YouTube, isn't? Uh huh. Okay. It's not oh. the greatest version in the world, but it's fine. It's watchable. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I I didn't want to go to YouTube and have something start playing, so um I didn't do like a deep search in the YouTube. I just Googled it through like looking for YouTube. Okay, I'll look for it there. Um, all right. So number two on your list is a movie we have discussed multiple times on the podcast. Um, it's at least two. I think it's very possible it's three. Uh, which is John Carpenter's Halloween, uh, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance. And um, so, first, was there anything new that you took away from this, Frank? Because, like, there's sometimes I find, like, rewatching these things. Because, how many times have you estimated that you watched this movie in your life? Fifteen, maybe? Really? That's it? Yeah. I bet you I it's, got that beat. It's weird that you you say that because I was trying to think today, like because I knew you would ask me this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's more than that. It it it, it might be over twenty. Yeah. yeah, that's that's probably where I'm up to now. It's honestly slowly over the past few years. It's starting since we've talked about it more. It's almost become a comfort movie for me that I like. Kind of will put on occasionally and just throw on the background and have on. But um. So I don't I don't watch Halloween every year in the same um the same way that I watch Texas Chainsaw every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's any other movies I watch annually. I I watch Halloween. I'm mean, I've seen the original Halloween now probably four times in the past three years just because of the podcast. Sure. Um. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably over 20. I was just estimating low. So, yeah. So, um th- you watch it this time, I'm assuming again? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so um what um and did you take anything like just interesting or new away from it before cuz I know, I want you to talk about some other stuff with it, but I find it interesting that I still really enjoy this movie every time I watch it mm-hmm. and I'll always forget the sequence of certain events, I guess. Hmm. I don't know why that is, but like, especially early on when you're seeing the initial like stalking of um Myers stalking on Jamie Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, just little places that you see him and little ways that they film things. 
Um, I love the fact that this movie makes you feel like you're watching a movie set in the fall. Yeah. <clears throat> like it feels like the fall and it feels like the Midwest, even though they filmed it in California. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it. Like, I, I, I think we've talked about this movie so recently that. Yeah. I don't know than anything. Yeah, I can't remember why we would have talked about. I, this is the fourth time. Um, there was there was this initial list, episode sixty one. There was the first watch that we did with Bledsoe of it, and there was a different episode where we couldn't avoid putting it on a list. It just had to go there. I think. Um, we might have talked about it on the overall seventies list too. I think. Yeah, I think um, that's right. So this might be the fifth time. Um, but the. I just think this is having rewatched it so many times now. I just think it might be one of the most well-paced horror movies I've ever seen. Sure, uh, I, it just it goes by so quickly to some degree, but it's like largely it's because it's like every scene has something going on. It's a piece of information, like it's 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 screenwriting, like to me, like perfect screenwriting. It's like every scene packs a threat, information, a scare. Like, you know, every scene matters in right. this movie. And it just because you're constantly just getting like another little thing, like a, like a, you know, a, some kind of tension or build, a payoff to that in terms of a scare or violence, like more information, backstory. Like everything is just serving a purpose. And it just like at a crisp pace just goes along to where it's like you put it on and it feels like it's over, like in, you know, 60 minutes almost. Um, and, it's it's always amazing to me like just how well crafted like almost everything in this is um and it's slowly become like like one of my favorite horror movies probably where i don't know if i would have said that five years ago i think it's i think it's kind of like one of those things where it's like um like where hackman i always say has been like this like one of the revelations of the podcast like the the absolute like brilliance to me of this movie um has been one of them another one of my revelations yeah and it's interesting because this movie is very um <clears throat> very influential in the horror genre in general but also with like the tropes that we've come to know in the horror genre um especially like the final girl trope the virgin trope um the silent like stalking seemingly unkillable like killer menace is comes from this movie i think more than anything um and really generated a franchise that's lasted for you know better or worse for 40 years now yeah um with the final installment supposedly of this new trilogy i guess next week comes out yeah two two weeks something yeah um but it's amazing because it's like there's other things too that carpenter does here like his making his own music and the way that he allows for small moments of like levity within while never letting the tension go and builds that tension to that you know halloween night like like peak especially with like seeing myers in the background and just catching glimpses of him you know sometimes on purpose sometimes not i think i mean there's one of my favorite scenes is when what's her name is in the kitchen and you see myers out the window and then like he's gone the next Mm -hmm. time the camera comes back to it and 
it's just small things like that that I think have been hugely influential over the past 40 years and are still being somewhat imitated to today. Um, what were going to be your questions about? No, oh, I just wanted you to talk about what you were doing, which was uh, about its uh, kind of place in history and like what it kind of sets up like yeah. as we get ready to go into the 80s. Um, it's, it's also really interesting that it also this, but it also like kind of serves as like a like an end point in some ways as well right as like it's like it's solidifying the idea of the slasher like that's kind of been building like as we went through the 70s and you've had me watch you know different giallos and you know and then we've seen like you know experiments with like what the canadian like black christmas and like these kind of like like different like kind of like more north american experiments of slasher films it's like this is the thing that really solidifies the slasher probably right in this country yes yes but it also moves it away from the idea of like it's always just going to be a crazy person driven by some psychological need to kill i mean like and this is like directly what influences um the character of jason like within the next few years of this movie is the idea that these these killers can just be evil like michael myers is just evil Mm -hmm. and there's no rhyme or reason for his killing he's just killing and it's you know centered around this holiday which is supposed to be this like fun children's holiday mm-hmm. um and maybe in a lot and maybe in some ways because if you look at um especially halloween three uh season of the witch the idea that maybe adults were taking a little too much away from children in halloween like mm-hmm. it was becoming more about like Although maybe not at this time. I think that's more of like a 90s and 2000s phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hugely influential movie and definitely one of the best horror movies ever made. Um, and good for establishing a woman character as not weak or incapable. You know, even like, right. even the women characters that are having sex and so they get killed aren't framed as being like defenseless or just eye candy i mean they're the focus of the movie for the most part Mm -hmm. Uh, which i think is really interesting because it's progressive to have you know a a female character or a series of female characters kind of take center stage in a movie um and also by taking away the ability of the main villain to talk um sort of also sets that stage for the idea that you're kind of letting the villain be kind of a blank canvas to the viewer so that their imagination does more of the work, mm-hmm. um, which I think has the effect of making it scary. Yeah, the fact that he has that mask on, like, and you can't see the face. He's, yeah. he's an absolute blind, like, yeah, like blank canvas. Yeah. Yeah. William Shatner mask. Right. Um, yeah. Lori, it is. Lori Strode's a really, like really interesting because I always find it interesting that she's not a prude. Like, even though she's like you know the still the virgin like she's not a prude and and she's not like uh, a fool like at all um right. and I, I i do think it's a really well developed 
female character of that time period that I think is probably really progressive. You're right. And, and kind of like moves things forward a bit. I think it takes a dip backwards. Um, like as the genre continues and, you know, into the eighties some, but, um, you know, maybe it becomes a stereotype or something. Um, but, uh, I think it's a, it's a really fully realized character in a lot of ways. Um, I'm always like really impressed by that, but yeah, I I really love this movie a lot. Um, and I, the thing I the the one thing I, I I think I've mentioned on it's one of the fucking dozen times we've talked about it is, but it's like the the more I watch it is like there there's this like really odd brilliance at the end of that movie, of how he just goes back and it's there's a little bit of a, like almost like a lynchian element but it's not quite lynchian where it's like he just films the spaces where violence has taken place mm, yeah. and just rests on them with the theme music playing over top of it and it's like here was like places where good things like there and a lot of them end up being kind of communal places like you know living rooms you know, like places where violence should not happen, and then it's like now this is the aftermath, and violence is happening. He just rests on those rooms for a few seconds and moves to another room where violence has happened, and it's like it somehow like brings that movie together to me of uh, showing the actual true horror of all of it, as everything's like kind of basically this whole house is and this family and like all this has just been ripped apart um and I, I don't know there's something that's really brilliant about that at the end sure um, yeah i agree all right so number one on your list um another movie we talked about previously on this very uh episode in 61 was dawn of the dead directed by george romero it stars david mg uh ken Fury and galen ross it has a 92 percent from critics and a 90 percent from audiences so um I believe this topped your list previously. Um, the, the the first time we did it, and it's topping the list again. So. Yeah, deservedly so. So yeah, go ahead and tell us why. Um, so I don't think we need to talk about the plot or anything of sure. Um, Dawn of the Dead, but I I sent you a text uh, after watching it the other night, mm-hmm. and I asked if you thought that Romero might be the most progressive horror director of the seventies, and maybe um of a three decade span from the 60s through the 80s in terms of his ideology and you asked me what i meant by that and so romero is one of the few directors and only directors for a couple of decades that had no issue casting a black man in his lead role mm-hmm. and not making him a support character or some kind of stereotype like letting the character just be the character um and so both um uh Dwayne uh fuck I can't remember his name the actor but both the lead in Night of the Living Dead and the Night and Dawn of the Dead lead in Dawn of the Dead are both you know black men um Ken Foree playing um the character in Dawn of the Dead and I think it's really interesting that Romero so easily would do that right yeah Dwayne Jones yeah Dwayne Jones I was so all I can think of is Dwayne Johnson I don't want want you to talk about the rock Uh um and then on top of that like Romero is not scared to cast women in strong roles Mm -hmm. and write women in a way where they're not damsels in distress where they have 
purpose and strength and um, skill. And I definitely think in this movie, um, shit, I can't remember her name now. Um, Galen Ross, her character, I think, is even though she's pregnant, she asserts herself to be part of that team and be an important part of it. And there's never a moment where Forey's character is like, nah, you're weak, you're a woman. He just appreciates and accepts that, you know, that strength on her part. <clears throat> um, there's also a huge amount of social commentary, I think, in Romero's stuff. Um, this in particular, you know, so it's anti-consumerism, anti um big brother government it's anti um i don't know just like the idea that we're sort of like selling our souls for convenience sake mm -hmm. um and what are you left with and to the point where the zombies are still even after they've lost their ability to reason or communicate are still trying to kind of force their way back into this thing that they've known and you know they address that that idea that it's it's just learned and remembered behavior like even though they don't have the ability to be cognizant anymore and just through habit they're still trying to go back into this place where they spend so much time walking and spending money and being protected or whatever and i think that's um something where romero is a little ahead of his time um, I think he also looks at things like classism and sexism and you know it's interesting that you've got Emgi and uh, 4E are both veterans you know they're both law enforcement mm -hmm. um, but they're not played for heavies or idiots or anything they're just you know Romero plays it straight with them and lets, lets those characters be those characters and there's so much in this movie that influenced so many things that came after it. Um, and really, you know, one of the best zombie movies in terms of the feeling that there, you can avoid them until you can't until like they overcome you. And then like all of a sudden you have nowhere to go and it's just your, you know, that's your end. Um, this is a movie that scared the shit out of me as a kid too. Like it made me really uncomfortable. Like the idea of, the zombies in the tight spaces and like you know coming through like the back hallways of the mall and whatnot um so yeah yeah um, i love i love this it's one of my favorite settings um for like any horror movie is this mall um yeah i we've talked about this previously so i don't want to like uh go on too much uh i i do want to say romero always has like my favorite zombies in the sense of like the way they move um it's it's the it's it's always what i hold everything up to always is romero and specifically this movie more than anything else like the way that flyboy when he turns into a zombie and walks out uh with like an injured leg and stuff like that and it's like you know every everything that's like kind of happened still like is affecting them in some way and it's like the idea that they get tripped up on things and like you know i i right. i just love the, the 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 conception of their their conception of zombies um his conception of zombies i guess it, um, it's also very realistic in the sense of what you feel like people would try and do actually do which is find a place that has ample supply and is you sure. know 
guardable and just try your best to get in there and stay in there um yeah it's it's a very well written and expertly directed film and even though i give you shit about uh season of the or um shit what's that fucking movie called that i hate season of the witch season of the witch Uh um i think there still is a lot of elements there that kind of show you know romero is being respectful to women and knows that like has no problem making a woman like a main character or make giving her power or authority and i think he's very that that movie's exposing toxic masculinity and whatever it is 1973 right and it's crazy that like romero is so ahead of his time Mm -hmm. um that in in dawn of the dead he was a hippie right like yeah i think so yeah i mean in dawn of the dead he's definitely pointing out things like how dangerous our obsession and reliance on technology is Mm mm-hmm um, and to think that that's happened in the 78 before we even have like right the mass communication um ability through like cellular technology or whatever like he mm-hmm. sees it in the computer and you know the fail safes of the mall like the systems of the mall yeah um working against the people that are there and the reliance on television for news and information and entertainment like all that stuff is you know definitely kind of i don't know on trial here but the romero's you know certainly pointing it out so so does i don't know these things about makeup and stuff like that is savini behind this yeah he's in this yeah i see i saw him in it but i didn't know if sometimes he stars and stuff and or is in stuff and doesn't do the makeup um for it but he he's he's the one behind all the makeup and the blood and all that kind of stuff in this yeah what do you the, the one thing i've what's with the bright red blood like do you know like what that is that just to stand out like it shows up better on camera okay i'm right. pretty sure that's the reason why they use okay. it gotcha <clears throat> i think also because the food coloring mixes better with like the corn syrup or whatever mm. i think it's the corn syrup and water mixture with food coloring is how they make blood um they also didn't probably want to provoke a x rating by making it too graphically realistic even though this movie was banned in multiple countries yeah for a long period of time it was cut down for this country gotcha. from its original runtime yeah i think i watched the well, how long is the longest version of uh two hours and 34 minutes okay that's the one i watched yeah um, i think something yeah, like that that's the one i watched this this time um i think it's the first one i've seen too so tired because they um they put uh they put out like a double box of it right on vhs like or like a double cassette i mean um on vhs back in the 90s that was the fuller version yeah i think that's right it was a two two tape um vhs bundle okay yeah that's with one of the best with one of the best um movie posters ever hmm the yeah. round head of that zombie like rising up from yeah. the mm-hmm. horizon point so um the initial list in episode 61 um with toolbox murders invasion martin and these two movies is that like still like kind of like your probably ultimate list 
Or would you put Blue Sunshine on? I can re- take something out. Not as a horror movie. Um, I to your point, I think Blue Sunshine is more of a thriller than it is horror. I love Blue Sunshine, and I definitely want to talk about it. But I, I think those five movies probably stay. Just want to put a little sh- put a little shine on it. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> people need to watch that movie. Um. Okay, so uh, just two very quick um, follow-ups. Uh, Tony Curtis is the only time Tony Curtis has ever appeared on the list, and this will probably be the only time that a father and daughter duo has ever appeared on the list together. So, um, <clears throat> all right. So, any final thoughts on the night's list, Frank? No, just that um, I really enjoyed watching these movies again. Um, in particular, Dawn of the Dead and Blue Sunshine. Um. I really, really had a good time watching both of those movies and so continuously impressed with Dawn of the Dead every time I see it, just by how masterful it is and just disappointing that Romero kind of never was able to achieve those highs of his early career. Yeah. Um, Yeah, someday I want to talk about Day of the Dead with you, though, uh, because we never talked about that um, on a podcast. But... All right, so uh, this will technically be released on October 1st, so happy October. Um, this will be the beginning, technically, I guess, um, of of our horror, horror month that we always do. Uh, next week, you can expect a deep dive into Poltergeist, um, and then we will also be covering this month the top five found footage movies, and then ending the month off with the end of the 70s list of 1979 um so hope you enjoy the month and uh thanks for listening have a good week yep deuces